Grace and peace to you in the name of God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. What is an epiphany? It's one of those strange church words that we sometimes throw around, and I think sometimes people kind of wonder, well, what is it really? Well, I went to the most authoritative resource I could find this week, dictionary.com, and I found this definition of epiphany. It's a sudden intuitive perception. It's an enlightening. Our eyes are open to something they hadn't been open to before. We see more clearly than we've ever seen before. An epiphany is something that perhaps was always there, but we weren't even aware of its presence. Well, today, in today's gospel lesson, we're introduced to two epiphanies. We know the one epiphany. It's the epiphany we come and celebrate. With the star rising over the east, guiding the wise men, we find Christ with his mother Mary, and they come paying him homage, bowing their knee. But there's another epiphany in today's lesson I think that we sometimes overlook, perhaps because we want to. It's the epiphany of human depravity. It's the epiphany of human brokenness. We find King Herod in today's story. And in King Herod, we see a person who loves his power, who loves his position, he's prideful, and he would sooner slaughter people than to give up the pride that he has, to give up the power that he has. This is a depravity that is fed by jealousy and will eventually culminate in the destruction of every child, under, every male child under the age of two within his kingdom. The very people that he's called to protect, to look after, to care for, are people that he kills because he loves his position, he loves his power more than he loves God. So the first epiphany this morning, friends, is that the sinfulness that exists in every human heart, every human heart, can bloom to a sort of depravity that when we look at it, we recognize is entirely debased and entirely wicked. We see the ugliness of sin in its fullness, and we recoil from it. In the case of King Herod, and in the case really of all hearts, the heart wants what it wants, and it will stop at nothing to keep what it wants. But we do recognize that King, what King Herod did was wicked. And I think most people would see that this king who desires his power so much allowed the wickedness in his heart to take such root that we can't even begin to wrap our minds around such evil. And so, as Christians, we come week after week to church recognizing that there is evil in the world and that there is wickedness. And we perceive that wickedness sometimes in our own hearts. And that's a good thing. It's a good thing when we begin to see that there are things that are disordered and broken in our hearts. Because it's the recognition that there are things that are broken and disordered that allows us to allow God to put the check on and say, no, we're not going to go any deeper into this. We're going to put the brakes on. We're going to stop. Because if you give yourself over to this sin entirely, 
That's what it looks like, the King Herods of the world. But we also recognize that even as we try to be good, even as we try to live as God would have us live, that there's still a rockiness in our hearts. Those who follow me online know that I've been reading through a book right now. It's called The Hammer of God. It's written by a a pastor who lived in Sweden some years ago. It's a series of actually three novellas, small novels. And in each of these, it goes through the lives of three young pastors who are trying to figure out how grace works in their own lives and in the life of a congregation. And there's an older pastor who's guiding one of the younger pastors at one point, and he offers this sermon. The struggle against sin is pure joy to the awakened soul. It is as when a homeowner begins to clear the land around his new house. The stones fly and the spade digs happily. But when a person is at work on the field of his heart, he gradually makes the dismaying discovery that there are more stones the deeper he gets. He keeps discovering new sins right along. And they become more difficult to move the more deeply they are entrenched in his inner life. You'll forgive all of the masculine pronouns, but... That's how he wrote it. One might possibly break with drinking and profanity and desecration of the Sabbath in a single evening, but pride, pride, that desire to talk about oneself or to find fault with others are likely to remain still after many months of penitential struggle. Then one day, When a man is battling sin and is trying to clear the stones from the heart's field, sweating at the task, yet hoping finally to get rid of the last one so that he may really see the garden grow, his spade strikes solid rock. He digs, he scrapes on every side, he tries again and again to budge the rock. Then the terrible realization dawns. It is stony ground through and through. When he's hauled away load after load of stone and dumped them outside the fence, he still has not succeeded in making a garden that can begin to bear fruit for God. He's laid bare a ledge of granite, which can never support a living, fruit-bearing tree. I almost feel like saying the word of God for the people of God after that. The first epiphany of today's lesson, brothers and sisters, is that we're all Herod. Every last one of us. We may not give in to the sinfulness that exists in our hearts to the extent that Herod gave in to it. But make no mistake, the sin that existed in Herod's heart exists in the heart of every human being. Romans 5 tells us sin came into the world through one man and death through sin and so death spread to all men because all sinned. By the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. 1 John 1 reads, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we say we have not sinned, we make God a liar, and his word is not in us. And Jesus reminds us, For out of the heart come evil intentions, murder, adultery, fornication, theft, false witness, and slander slander. Notice that he equates murder and slander as being one and the same. 
What do we do with this epiphany? What do we do with this realization that the hardness of Herod's heart is the hardness of every human heart? We praise God for the second epiphany. That's what we do. This epiphany begins with a virgin mother. This epiphany leads us today to Egypt. This epiphany is guided by a star in the east. And this epiphany leads us, like the wise men, to fall on our knees and call out to the God who saves us from our sin. Do not despair your sins. Don't fear your sins because your sins have no power over the cross. Your sins have no power over the God who saved you by taking on human flesh, by living the life for you that you can't live for yourself. Your sins have no power over the one that the wise men come to today and bow their knees to. Your sins are defeated by Jesus Christ. Repent of your desire to self-justify. Repent of your desire to try to prove yourself worthy before God because you can't. Nobody can. That is the message of the gospel. It is Christ alone who came in flesh. It's Christ alone who ministered grace to sin-sick humanity. It's Christ alone who grew into a man and died on the cross for you. It's Christ alone who made atonement for your sin, extending forgiveness for even your wickedness. And it's Christ alone who reconciles you to your heavenly Father. And this Father is a heavenly Father who, like the prodigal son, when he sees his child turn around and seek him again, doesn't wait for you, dashes out the door, comes to you, wraps his arms around you and throws a festival for you for his child has come home. Now some will say, but I'm still a sinner. And indeed we are. We're all sinners. We all have brokenness in our lives. We will be broken. Us will be broken until the day we die. But the Christ we follow is perfect and he's sinless and He alone can fix what is broken in these stony hearts. Christ alone can take the hammer of God, as the book says, and start to break that granite that exists in your heart and in my heart. And in that, He can begin to create fertile soil, fruit-bearing soil for you and I. Proverbs 4, 25 to 27 reminds us, let your eyes look directly forward and your gaze be straight before you. Keep straight the path of your feet and all your ways will be sure. Do not swerve to the right or to the left. Turn your foot away from evil. Well, brothers and sisters, let this child who stands before you today, this Christ child, Jesus Christ alone, be the eyes that look forward for you. Let Jesus be the feet that keep your paths straight. Lay hold of Christ alone and allow him to keep your feet from evil and your ways straight. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen.